0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Heralds, Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan up in the nation's capital right before a three-game series between the Marlins and the Nationals. He's Andre Fernandez in Tallahassee after a interesting ending uh, to a game on Saturday.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let, let's just jump to baseball. There's enough, uh, there's enough bad news going around uh, on the, in the, with these two teams.
0: Yeah, so yeah, let's just jump right in. The Marlins, they their last week was three against the Mets, three against the Braves. They went two and one against the against the Mets, one and two against the Braves. Record really irrelevant at this point. The Marlins are already guaranteed a losing season. So let's jump into the important things, which are the young guys and how they're developing. And for the most part, everyone's up here now. Lewin Diaz got called up after Pedro Zaguilar went on the injured list with left knee inflammation. We're getting to see a little bit of Eddie Alvarez, which I know Andre and I are both personally excited to be able to get this opportunity. <laughs> Edward Cabrera is a few starts in. Uh, we'll get to all of them in a minute, but I want to first just go back to the, arguably the biggest surprise of the year in Brian De La Cruz. Uh, at this yeah. point, since he made his debut July 30th, he's batting 338 on the year. And among guys and everyone in baseball, who's had at least hundred plate appearances Since July 30th, when Dale Cruz made his debut, Dale Cruz is seventh in Major League Baseball on batting average. He's at 338. The few guys ahead of him, Luis Roberts at 368. Frank Schwindel from the Cubs at 366. Kyle Tucker of the Astros, 351. A guy that Marlins fans should know and remember, Starling Marte, 348, only nine points above what rookie Brian Dale Cruz is doing. Tyler Naquin and Lord Gurio Jr. round out the list ahead of them. That's pretty good company being here. Also to note, he's uh, five points above Juan Soto's batting average at this point. In that impressive, stand. Yeah,
1: impressive stuff. I mean, when you look at – this is one of the fines for them this year. I mean, I know people are saying still ideally maybe he's a fourth outfielder, outfielder but, hey, I mean, he's impressed. He's impressed, and there's no way around it. I mean, he's, he's – He's he's taking them. He's taking advantage of the most of this opportunity, hitting the ball consistently. I mean, those nose numbers don't you know don't exaggerate too much. I mean, they. I think when you look at the perspective of where it's at, look at some of the hitters that, that 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 he's in close proximity to, both above and below. He's it's been pretty good. I mean, he's been he's been able to see the ball well, and then also his versatility on the field too, and his and and just the fielding side of it. What he's been able to bring to them. And he's really, he's he's been a stabilizer, you know, for a team that again, you know, for different reasons have had has had some turnover in the outfield. You've seen De la Cruz really step in and, and become one of the big stories of the season with with some of what he's been able to contribute in an otherwise, you know, lost season for them this year. Oh, so it's a it's it's good to the more options you have, now you have another guy that maybe at the beginning you weren't. Well, at the beginning, you weren't thinking about it, and Now you have an extra option towards your future outfield. But and as I know we're going to talk about how a lot of those, that projected future is already there in your face and you're seeing them at the major league level. You know, Brian's definitely trying to carve himself a little role in there.
0: Yeah. And the one thing I also like, a lot of early in the season, he his first game he batted sixth. After that, he was mostly in the seventh seven and eighth spot. Since Aguilar's injury and since Brian Anderson's season ending, the fact he's going to go under a shoulder surgery to end his season, they've moved Dela Cruz up to the three hole, and he's still producing as he gets more reps at right. the top of the lineup, which, again, when you're in that 7-8 spot, give you a little more comfortability. There's not necessarily as much pressure on you in those spots as you're getting your feet wet. But now mm-hmm. they have him at three, Jesus Sanchez at four, you have that one-two punch right in the middle of your order of two young guys who De La Cruz is showing contact and has a little bit of power in there, and then Jesus Sanchez, who hit home runs in all three games against the Braves. You're seeing a good one-two punch of young guys at who could potentially be two of your outfielders moving forward.
1: And trustworthy at the top of the lineup. I mean, that's what your mo- some of your most important spots, obviously, there in the heart of the order. And then for him to come in and still be able to produce – I mean, that's big. I mean, in the long run, is he there? Probably not. But I mean, at least for now, you're, he's showing you the consistency, whether you line him up in the, in the, where he, whether he gets his first uh, at bat either in that first inning or a little bit later on down the, down the lineup, the fact that he's a consistent producer is a good sign for the, for his and for the team's future.
0: Yeah. And uh, now they will move to some of these other, other guys. Uh, let's, Let's just talk to Matty Alvarez for a little bit. This guy from the Olympics, from just his story in general, going from uh, speed skating to getting back into baseball to making his debut last year to becoming a two-time Olympic medalist, winning in baseball just a little over a month ago, and now finally getting his second taste of the big leagues. Really big moment for him on Saturday. Uh, it was the 20-year anniversary of the September 11 terrorist attacks. Eddie Alvarez has talked plenty about as a Cuban American, just the opportunity America has given him and his family and just how grateful he is to be here and hits his first career MLB home run on that day. He was extremely emotional at the, when we talked with him post game, just how everything is sort of just clicking for him and how that moment happened when it did. And just his feel-good story every time we think we've reached a peak he just find another way to uh, just keep getting better
1: and he's the gift that keeps on giving for uh, for us writers and and for anybody watching his story and you're right I mean he's living his best life right now I mean between between his baby with his family growing and 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 then what he was able to do at the Olympics and and now this, yet another, yet another nice moment for him. Another memorable, unforgettable one for for his career. He, he, Eddie, Eddie's at a point now where he's seizing the opportunity. He's got to, as much as he can. I mean, he's you know 30 years old now. This is a team that you know is looking at a lot of um, a lot of you know prospects that are going to be you know playing those key roles coming up. So we don't know how much longer of an opportunity he may get. At the major league level, but he's making the most of it, and I like the fact that he's going to at least be able to finish the season. From the looks of it, in a starting role, and you know, show show what he can show what he can do. Show show that try to carve himself a, a role going in the next years. Because that, if you look at these last couple of weeks, that's the whole thing. That whether it's a prospect or not, you're trying to win jobs for next year. You're trying to find a way to convince management that you you can belong in, and, and have a chance to be part of the future of this organization, so good that Eddie's getting an opportunity.
0: And on Eddie, I want to just give a quick hat tip to the organist at Braves Ballpark, Truist Park. Every With all the road teams he does, basically songs that are puns off people's names or moments in their lives. Freddie Alvarez, he did the Olympic theme, and when I heard that the first time, Eddie was a pinch hitter that first time he came up, I laughed then sat back and went this is cool and then yeah. we hear so many different ones like just trying to think ones off the top of my head miguel rojas because rojas close to rojo rose red he did red red wine uh garrett cooper he does the facts of like theme song for mrs garrett so the C see ones where he goes from all of these joking funny ones to to one that's giving a hat tip to someone on the opposite side that to me was really good and back on the field now uh Eddie's, you know, he made three starts so far since getting called up a week ago. One was at second base. The other two were at third, where it looks like he's going to be splitting time with these Diaz the rest of the year, primarily because Brian Anderson uh, re-injured that left shoulder, had a second uh, subluxation, and he and the Marlins both decided that the best move for him is to undergo surgery, to repair it have do it now so that he's ready for when spring training starts. He's able to just use the offseason to rehab. And hopefully when everything comes back, he doesn't have to worry about diving for a ball and wondering if the injury is going to pop up again, which is sort of how the injury got re aggravated. But it also brings up an interesting point. Brian Anderson's going into a second year of arbitration. Only it's two years left before free agency. Mm-hmm. Could the Marlins potentially use this opportunity to try to negotiate a possibly lower end contract extension type deal for Anderson? Get him well, pay off these last two years of arbitration, give him maybe a four or five year deal that maybe is below value of what he would have been if he was healthy. It certainly opens out the window there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, It it just comes down to do you you know how much do you still I mean I I think you still look at Brian as your guy at third I mean you don't really have too much else as far as that position goes in the system and you know this this year it's hard to gauge because you know he starts off injured and now you know doesn't doesn't get doesn't get a whole lot of time on the field overall and and in general. So unfortunately, it's kind of a throwaway year for him. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's worth exploring at least. You know, maybe you can pounce and and figure something out in a way. But we'll see. I mean, uh, it's obviously going to depend a lot on his representation and and do they feel like you know Brian can come back next season and you know they could work something out in arbitration If they feel like it's in his best interest to work something out in arbitration, come back next season build his stock up a little bit, whether it's to stay here or go elsewhere, you know, but for the Marlins sake, you would hope that they can lock him in because that's at least one position you wouldn't have to worry about. We still, we've still seen he's one of the best defenders at that spot overall in the game today. And if his back can continue to come along, we know it's never going to be an extraordinary, but he he can be consistent if he's healthy and a good source of offense. We've seen that in the past at, at times, with Brian Anderson. So definitely, I think it, it, I mean, I don't have really an answer for it, but I think it is something that they probably would explore considering their, you know, more or less their financial situation overall. And if they can pull it off, great. But uh, again, you know how that goes, it's going to come down to his agent and, and, and how they feel, what kind of leverage they may have toward, toward his future, what may benefit him the most of getting paid Substantially or not in the long run.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, Marlin's system really aren't any third baseman prospects in there. I mean, you have Brian Anderson, you have your utility-esque guys, which at this point right now is Isan Diaz playing second and third. Eddie Alvarez playing second short and third. John Birdie, depending on what happens, he's been out for two months with a concussion. And really, we're not there's some uncertainty about where. He fits as you continue to bring up these wave of prospects and he's best utilized as a utility guy, regardless in the minors, there really isn't anybody. Whenever Anderson went down, it was okay. You move Eson over. And if you need depth, they brought up Devin Marrero who they bring up for a day or two and then DFA him to bring him back to triple He's been brought up and down five times this year and there's no one that I can think of off the top of my head. And there's definitely no one in the top in their top thirty prospects who's in who's a third baseman type that's ready to come up in the big leagues at any time in the near future. So unless they do a move in free agency, they need to it's under the assumption that Anderson is their guy, at least for the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, that, and that, that's what I mean. I mean, if if you had guys knocking on the door like you do like you had right now at first base, you know, with Lewin or, or or an example like that or or as or like in the middle infield where you have you know guys like Jazz has now come up and you have guys behind them and a lot of options that you're looking at in the next 2 to 3 years that are going to be competing for spots, that's another story, but at third he's out there literally pretty much on an island right now. I mean, you know, everybody else is either a stopgap or or Not a prospect that you're looking at as, you know, some with tremendous, tremendous upside that would top what you're getting out of Brian. So, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see over the course of the offseason if they can if they can lock him in or if that drags on maybe for a while longer. Maybe they just play the safer route uh, as far from his point of view, from his side of it, from his camp and maybe wait for to see what happens after after next season.
0: Yeah, and to transition from one corner infield spot to the other, uh, Lewin Diaz finally is here. He got called yeah. up September eighth. Speaking because, of, yep. <laughs> because again, uh, Jesus Aguilar left knee inflammation. He's rehabbing in Miami. There's no timetable for when he's going to return if he's going to return the season. Uh, and Leywin's basically gotten basically started every game since he got he's got called up. Again, it's a small sample size at this point since his latest call-up, only 17 play appearances, three hits, including a pinch hit triple on Sunday that helped the Marlins in a mini rally that ultimately was wasted. But uh, three for 17, five strikeouts and 17 play appearances. Again, small sample size. The main thing is get as much as you can out of this final month with him and then hope that you have an evaluation that, in a perfect world would have had at least another month or a month and a half extended on top of what we're going to see in September.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the last month of the season, that's what this is for. Like we've said again and again, that you know, with, with Lewin especially, I mean, he was, he was one of the ones I thought that needed to get on the field as soon as possible and, and continue to get those reps. And he's been taking advantage of that. I mean, I, I love the kid defensively. I've, I've said it time and again, And I've heard from scouts, heard from coaches for a while now have said he's major league ready. So it's good to see that he's finally getting that opportunity. Now, the more reps he can get these last few weeks, the better. You look at the schedule. I mean, they're facing teams, you know, some of the competition. It doesn't even matter about competition, really. It doesn't matter whether it's the Rays or the Mets or the the Nationals here at the end. But just the fact that he's getting these reps and he's going to see – Pitching because he's still going to be seeing some pretty good pitching, even again, even some of these teams that, that are out of it right now. So, the more he can get and establish himself where he's comfortable going into opening day potentially next year as the guy at that spot, the better.
0: Yeah. And one last guy to talk about in this first half uh, Edward Cabrera, again, came in with a lot of high expectations. His debut was pretty good in, ex- until things started to uh, fade away in the seventh inning. His three starts sense, there's some room for improvements, we could see. Uh let's jump forward to his last one on Sunday. He was taken out after three and two thirds innings with what the team has has described as right big toe soreness, which from what Matt Don Mattingly and with what Edward Cabrera told us post-game was he was feeling friction on the mound when he was, when he was releasing his pitches, it started really hitting him in the fourth inning. A couple pitches before he gave up a home run to end up, end his outing. They are saying, the Marlins say it's precautionary that why they took now They didn't want to have him readjust how he delivers his pitches on the fly. But also, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out this the second time that in the span of three starts that Edwards had issues with his footing on the mound. Uh, his second start up in New York at Citi Field. In that fourth inning, there, uh, right before he finished the inning, he his cleat got caught in the mound, and he ended up tumbling sideways after one of his pitches. So the fact that something like this has happened twice in the span of three starts, especially and also both of them being on the road. So I'm not sure if that has anything to factor into it, but mm. it's just it's interesting to see that, and also. Maybe something that has to be figured out between him and Mel, him and whoever, about figuring out why this is happening, why it's happened twice already in the span of of about three weeks being up here and what they can do to remedy that. Because we know stuff, we know what he can do, but it seems like there's always, there's been something that's been getting in the way each of his last few starts.
1: Yeah, very, very weird. I mean... Just the I don't I don't know if that's something in his delivery something maybe a little mechanically off there like you said would maybe Mel and him have to kind of sift through the film and, and break it down and see what's going on there if there's something to it or if it's just random freakish stuff that keeps happening to him I mean, you hate this the guy you don't want to think the guy's jinxed I mean he got he had what do you have a few years ago the burn on his arm that kept him out for a while I mean but no this you know this it's a shame because he, again, with him, it's like so long awaited for him to finally get on the mound and finally start. And he has, and it's been pretty, you know, effective for the most part. And and again, it's just about getting those reps and getting as many innings under his belt as he can at the major league level. So this setback is unfortunate because you were hoping that he could finish the year with as many of those starts and innings as possible. Maybe he still can, if he can, they could figure something out quickly, but if not, you hope that that's enough of a sample size and more importantly, figure out if there is any kind of issue here going into the off season where it can be corrected. He can get back on his normal throwing routine and carry this progress in the next year.
0: Yeah. And through his four starts again, the first one, he went six in the third, the first six things were great. And then gave up two home runs back to back in the seventh, uh, that start, Against the Mets in New York, he went four innings where he had the tumble, but he also it was, and that's why it was a seven inning game. It was the doubleheader, so Marlins had to deal with a pinch hit, pinch hit situation to try to get some offense going. Uh, third start against, third start also against the Mets. Two in the third, had trouble facing the team the second time in such quick succession, and then the Braves game until that fourth inning when everything happened to him. He threw three scoreless Got out of a couple jams in the second, the third, but again, it's 16 and a third innings through four starts. If everything's okay, he should get probably three more down the stretch, seven starts. It's sort of going to be giving them sort of the Trevor Rogers sample size that they got last year. And I guess six, and six O Sanchez as well. Last year, they both got about seven or eight appearances between the regular season, and the playoffs last year. And uh, that's been brought up a lot. Just take the growing pains from this year, figure out in the off season, how to adjust and fix what you went through, learn from everything from the rough spots of that first taste, and then hope to do what Trevor Rogers did this year and just come out on fire when in your first whole yep. season.
1: Yeah. And just take off from there, Right. Yeah. I mean, if Trevor, Trevor is the, is the example to follow. I mean, you look at what he was able to do first half becomes an all-star just that jump that he's made even before, even before all that, the jump he made just to go from maybe where he was one of the prospects you're hoping for to kind of like the guy that they feel is ready to take the shot just at the major league level, because of the work that he did, the the improved uh, slider, the way he improved that pitch so much. Yeah, so you just you just hope. I mean, it's, it's it's interesting when you take a step back and look at the organization as a whole. Yes, the pitching is still the stronger part of it, no doubt. But some of the guys, you hope six though is still where he can recover physically to the point where he can be he can show you what he was at the start of last season after he's had a lost year, you know. And then now Edward, he's come up late, got you know broken the ice, got a few innings in there, but again still having setbacks. So those are two key pieces. You know, you want to, at some point you want to have that, that dream rotation, you know, of, of of those two, Sandy Alcantara, maybe Pablo. If uh, you know, once he had Pablo's another one, you know, again, the injuries acted up and, and screwed up a season that, that he, that really, you know, not a total failure, but you wanted it to have a strong finish and he wasn't able to do that either. So, I mean, you've had the front row seat to all to, to all these hiccups this year, which is unfortunate because not that not that maybe the Martins were going to achieve a, a ton on the win-loss column this year, but you definitely didn't want to have all this, you know, basically just stunting the progress of, of their long-term plans for, for a lot of these pitchers and a lot of these position players.
0: Yeah, and I guess a lot of it could happen, again, with going from that short season last year and a lot of the guys – Edward yeah. specific, not having that chance to have all the reps that they normally would have last year, a lot of guys being relegated to the alternate training site or not being able to be around the team at all. We knew yeah. there were going to be some hiccups going on, but again, when it seems like one happens and then as soon as one seems like it's about to be solved, another one happens. And it just seems like that domino effect, even though all of these are independent of each other, just that overall effect of, of what of missing out on last year's development seems to have crept in at different points throughout the year. And as you mentioned, it is unfortunate how it happened to so many different guys and also, and so many different guys. And a lot of them basically at various points stacked up on each other too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, when you basically, I mean, <laughs> again, this team, it's it, it's so many little things that have just like, you know, again, it's so many little things that have, that have that have stopped the progression that you wanted to see out of this franchise, and you wanted to. I I've, I still think in the long run, you really have to have you really have to have some consistency as far as like, it's almost like sports needed a year to recover from the year, yes, and in a lot of cases, and the Marlins are are the poster child. for that this season look at all coming out of that I I almost wonder if this one that you that's why you see so many injuries around the league I think in this league you see it you see it in football too a lot of teams these like crazy results that have happened you know so far like in the college football season it translates to baseball too I think it's almost like a lot of these guys needed to get back into that normal routine but not just get back to it but really absorb it again and get through that for one whole year And then I think next year you start to see a little more of that endurance building up again, a little more of a healthy scenario, a little more consistent play all around, not just the Marlins, but I think league wide and Major League Baseball. So hopefully in their case, it gets a lot of these guys developmental tracks going again and progressing the right way and staying and being able to stay relatively healthy.
0: Definitely. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And for the second half, we're going to transition from the prospects who are up at the big league level to the prospects that are still in the minors as the minor league season wraps up. We're down to, with the exception of AAA, we're down to the final week of the regular season in the minors. So we're going to basically start putting a bow on what has happened for the Marlins in the (laughs) developmental stages. So we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. And as we've been doing basically all season for the second half of our show, time to look at what's going on on the farm. And, I mean, we're going to be talking about most of the same cast of characters that we've been talking about for a while now, just a little bit of a smaller group since most of them are already up at the big league level. And we've talked about him a few times these last couple of shows, but Cameron Meisner, man, just, I mean, we saw what he did the end of of his time in – uh, class A advanced Beloit before moving up to Pensacola. And he's been, he's played two weeks worth of games with the Blue Wahoo, and he's kept it up. He's safely reached base now between the time, the end of his time in Beloit and the start of his time in Pensacola. Safely reached base 35 of his last 36 games. Uh, his stat line in that stretch is he has a 332 batting average, 410 on base percentage, 552 slugging including 15 multi-hit games, six of those being with Beloit, including each of his last three games with Beloy, And almost half of his 46 hits have gone for extra bases. 13 doubles, a triple, six home runs, uh, 30 ribbies, 26 runs scored. And because this is the set, Trey pays attention to 22% strikeout rate over that 36-game stretch.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that he's finally, it's translating from Miser. Because before that rough year, his final year at Missouri, he looked apart. He looked like a guy that could do, could be this type of player, consistent at the plate, saw the ball well, you know, power to all fields. And what did he do? He did it at he did it at Class A advanced, and now he's doing it at double A. Double-A. So it's carrying over every level. That's a great sign too, because now a double A pretty much you're one step away if they feel like you're ready if he's doing all these things and it's not just the numbers but if they feel like the swing is consistent and and the play is there he can make the jump we know that I mean maybe not this year but next year let's say if he and maybe again if he has a strong spring training and that sort of thing and it carries over to his play maybe early in the minor league season he's that much closer to getting the opportunity and we know this is a guy who He's probably a corner infielder, but he has played some center as well. He's versatile. He's pretty quick too. It doesn't seem you don't hear too much talk about his speed, but it's not bad. It's not a bad that that tool's pretty good for him as well. So, in a year where, and I know we're going to talk about that, in a year where you're worried about JJ Bleday and your and and some of your other outfielders have been a little up and down, Cameron Meisner has has really stood out.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned again. With the fact he's in double-A now, and he's basically with the the big three outfielders of the organization right now with J.J. Blade, Peyton Burdick, Griffin Conine, and he could easily be the guy who just falls to the wayside and is just, okay, you're you're primarily going to be the DH while we get the other three guys ready, but Mm -hmm. he's giving them all a run for their money. I mean, we've talked about Blade all year, and... Just the struggles that he's had. I mean, he had a good week this last week. He hit 500 over the six games, but that still doesn't over that still doesn't replace the fact that he's hitting 212 with a 700 OPS so far through 460 play appearances at double A. And we know everything with Burdick and Conine, they have the power. They have the power. Conine, 36 home runs this year, which is second in all of minor league baseball. Burdick has hit 23 so far, all at the double A level. But we also know about Conine's very extensive all-or-nothingness, having looked up the the latest numbers for the strikeouts, but I'll be able to get that in a second. And Burdick, we've seen him turn the page, and we know he's more than likely a corner outfielder No matter at the big league level, even though they played him in center. But with Cam Meisner's consistency and his strong defense, I feel like in terms of just the all-around package, he seems like he has the he has the chance to have a higher seat ce- the highest ceiling of the four at least from what we've seen so far out of all four guys.
1: Yeah, I think being able to play all three spots is huge because we've seen this team where it's where they're, they're kind of still looking for who's their guy who's their guy in center. You know what I mean? And that fact that Meisner can really plant his name in that conversation and with what he can do. I mean, that's just going to give him more opportunity. And 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 you, you look at some of those other guys. I mean Blade, yeah, don't if you're if you're waiting for that number to get any better, don't. It's, it's gonna be ugly at the end of the season, no matter what. There was too much of a chasm created there by how bad he was for a little stretch there. We're well, not a little stretch for a pretty good stretch there, which is why the alarm bells went off. With him, it's more, I think they have to take a look at what really happened there, what what he's been doing, what's been off mechanically just as approach, everything, what come, you know, get to the bottom of that now this off season and see if he could still be the player that, that you hope he can be, you know, for them with Conine. I just think that's, that's what he's going to be at this point. You know, it's kind of that, yeah, immense power, but prone to strikeout. It's never going to be a pretty strikeout rate, but you hope it's at least at some point where maybe it's a little more manageable where he can, where he can do it. I mean, that'll depend obviously on how he progresses as he moves up the ladder in the minors. And Burdick, I mean, he again, the twenty-three home runs are are nice. I think I feel a little bit of, a little bit better about his situation as far as all the all-around hitting package than than the other two right now. And, and uh, you know, we'll see again next year as he starts that pro process again where they're at but you're getting to that point where 2022 is going to be big because you're, you you have guys up now wait till next year when these guys would technically be knocking on the door for a potential call-up Then then things are going to get really interesting
0: yeah and to update those numbers uh uh Cone line strikeouts it's 180 in 454 plate appearances that's just barely under 40 percent for the yeah. season uh Peyton Burdick, he, he's batting 232. He has an 849 OPS, uh, 135 strikeouts, 76 walks. So it's he has a lot of strikeouts. Again, it's sort of the the three true outcomes for him. Yeah. But again, we've seen he's made a lot of strides over the second half of the season. A lot of the strikeout numbers came early and he's fine, he found a way to fine-tune things over the last couple of months. But again, it's a lot of Seeing how things happen over an extended stretch. Uh, to get through a few other guys, um, I want to go back. We've talked about him also. Just how the the early surprise for the Marlins' 2021 draft class has been that 18th round pick out of North Coast State, that Hostel Bennett Hostelter. He's already in Beloit. He's the first guy to move out of the Jupiter grouping, whether it's the FCL or Class A, out of everyone in that draft class. And, good to see,
1: good to see Jeff's kid
0: doing well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's
1: like my like running joke with him. I mean, yeah. I, I'm glad for the kid. I mean, yeah. he's really 18 and 18th rounder to really put his name out there and do what he's doing. That that's, that's a great, that's those hidden gems that, that's those hidden gems that make an organization when you can get those guys to step up and, and those fines really, I mean, 31 minor league games, like you said, I mean, already 27 in a Jupiter, 319, six doubles, four homers, 28 RBI. I mean, if they're – I don't want to look too much into the numbers strictly, but it sounds like the consistency of, of his play, of his the way he's approaching at the plate, seems to be good. I mean, they could be, they, there could be something there. Again, another one that you further evaluate as next year comes along and you wonder if he's part of it. Maybe he gets an invite – to camp next year, from the way this is going, I mean, I would, I would think so. I mean, I think you'd get a good, uh, even better look at him out there next year, and, and kind of continue to evaluate.
0: And as you mentioned, the numbers we can obviously, it's uh, mo- most of that came in Low A, but they also came in what used to be the Florida State League. Those ballparks aren't necessarily the easiest to put up offensive numbers. Granted, the level no. is different. It's yep. obviously a college guy going up against a lot of a lot of guys who were more or less teenagers, but.
1: Yeah. I mean, when, when, when Jupiter was high, that was known as a pitcher friendly league. It was always tough for a lot of guys to get any kind of consistent hitting.
0: Yeah. So for a guy in his first taste of pro ball to be able to get, I think nine of those 10 extra base hits, including three of the home runs to come in ballparks, like, like what you have at Roger Dean, that's, that's some, that's something to tip your hat to, especially for a guy adjusting to everything for the first time.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, I I think now we switch to to the mound and we our our other favorite weekly update uh, pitcher. It seems to be uh, the the six foot eight phenom Yuri Perez. And, yes. uh, one one fifty ERA, three earned runs allowed in eighteen innings, twenty two strikeouts against three walks. I mean, this all the all the good signs are there so far with with Yuri. Only 115 batting average against, you know, in his first four Class A Advanced starts. I mean, once again, very similar to some of the other guys we've talked about. So far, so good. I mean, you, you saw the the potential power pitcher package there. the The question was, he's so he's still so young and he was still so raw when he first got there. But you 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 couldn't help but feel a little excited about what it what he it, he could look like. You know, pretty much down the road. I think he's seems like he's fast tracking it a bit right now. He's a little bit further ahead than I thought he'd be at this point, you know, still only 18 and and putting up numbers like this. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole key, right? In the next two years, where how he sort of progresses, the the you know, the bats he's gonna face are gonna get better and better, obviously. And the challenge is gonna be there to continue to adjust, but the natural tools are 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 showing off there, they're flashing early on. In his career. So that's that's definitely a good sign.
0: Yeah. And for me, it's not just the bats, the bats he's gonna face and as he rises through the system. For me, it's I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when they take the training wheels off of him and let him go deeper in the game. I know yeah. this first year they're being cautious, not just with Yuri, but with a lot of the pitchers. Again, this goes back to not having last season and right. trying to make exactly. sure that they're not overdoing it with guys, especially for a lot of guys who were in their first full season. They have been they did up in double-A as well. Jake Eder was, before the Tommy John surgery, they were still holding him the five innings for the most part. Max Meyer has more or less been that five, six-inning range his first full season. When Yuri Perez gets the all-clear to go deeper in the games and face lineups the third time around and see how he handles that part, that's, to me – that progression that I'm really looking forward to seeing once 2022 hits and see how his stuff plays when he's facing guys who have faced him more than twice in the same game.
1: Yeah. No, no doubt about it. When you take the reins off, I mean, there's a lot of guys too that for different reasons we've seen that, like you said, I mean, I'm curious to see when maybe by next year you start to take the reins off a little bit of, say, a Dax Fulton who was coming off the surgery. And really, really kind of let him crank it up and see where, how, how much better this kid is coming off the surgery now. Now that he's had, you know, more opportunities, more innings at a professional level. Very, again, very, very exciting to see to be watching some of these mounds next year, especially in the spring. That's always a fun time to kind of see how far guys have developed in their off season, doing their own work, and and see how much it can carry over. Yeah, and
0: to touch on Dax Fulton, he's also up with Class A Advanced Beloit. Four innings, 18 – or four starts, 18 innings, uh, 3-0, 3-0, 0 ERA, two thirty four average against, 16 strikeouts to six walks. So we're seeing a lot – we're seeing a little bit more maturity out of him and a little more comfortability after a slow start as he was getting back to the mound for the first time since that Tommy John surgery before his senior year of high school. Uh, Max Meyer, with most likely just one start left. He's a 256 ERA through 19 starts, 95 innings, 106 strikeouts against 40 walks, all at the AA level. All in all, really good first year for Max, especially after his 2020 was relegated to just inter squads and whatever he was able to do with the alternate site. So seeing some flashes out of these guys, again, it all just for me comes back to what we'll end up seeing once we get, once they have this year under their belt, they're back to their full routine for a year and we can see how much they get unleashed in 2022. Yeah. And with that, that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Uh, We'll be back again next week. I'm Jordan McKeers he's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone.